Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP26. My name is Lucy Fitzgeorge-Parker. I'm the editor for Sustainable Finance at Euromoney magazine, and I'm your host for this podcast, in which I'll be bringing you news and views from the UN Climate Conference in Glasgow. Yesterday was Finance Day, and I was lucky enough to have the chance to sit down for a chat with two very senior sustainability bankers from two banks that have emerged as global leaders on transition and net zero. Indeed, both of them were recognized in Euromoney's Awards for Excellence this year for their work on sustainability. First, I spoke to Val Smith, Chief Sustainability Officer at City, which this year won our award for Global Best Bank Transition Strategy. I asked Val which of the big announcements coming out of COP in the first two and a half days had been most significant from the point of view of the banking sector. I think the most significant announcements from the banking sector have actually been the announcements that happened in the run-up to COP. Um, and I think that's you know, often true for country commitments and also true for the, the private sector and especially the financial sector. So um, you know, today, day three, as you mentioned, is finance day. Um, we had the official sort of unveiling of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, which includes the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which City is a member of. Um, as part of the broader GFANS umbrella. And you saw a number of um, financial institutions, a number of banks, including Citi, make net zero commitments in the lead up to COP26. I think um, COPs provide a great sort of deadline for ambition. And um, so what you see today is both a, I would say, a celebration and statement of the level of ambition, but immediately Um, we also are seeing sort of, you know, push to make good on that ambition. Yes, I mean, it does seem to be that the discussion has moved on from just making net zero commitments now to what net zero actually means. I mean, how hard do you think that's actually going to be to to pin down? What's what's the big challenges ahead of us? Well, the big challenges ahead of us, and these are the conversations that, that we are having with other financial institutions, with clients, is around implementation. Um, you know, net zero by 2050, that is a long-term target. Um, we are really focused on 2030. And, um, you know, specifically as we begin to build out our net zero plan, as we're working on our 2030 emissions targets, starting with energy and power, loan portfolios, the implementation and the data and analytics that underpin these commitments that, um, that banks make, that the financial sector makes, that companies make, um, are really, it's really challenging to execute on. And, um, you know, we're living in a world with imperfect climate data, and we will be for some time. And um, so making these financial commitments in the, you know, atmosphere of uncertainty is, is just a big challenge. But I think the other challenge, you know, we're talking about long-term versus shorter-term, and um, a big challenge ahead of us is going to be um, the sort of demand externally for immediate action. And how do you reconcile that with, you know, the 2050 commitment, with the 2030 targets, the need to finance the transition while showing immediate action as well? Yes, I mean, I've certainly seen some criticism this morning um, following the announcement yesterday about from GFANS that you know, there's now, there's been a lot more signatories uh, joined and in theory there's now $130 trillion of financing committed to net zero under this umbrella. But yes, there has been, people are asking why is something not going to happen in the next two years given the urgency of the challenge? Why are sort of the next targets in in 2030. Is that 
is it unrealistic to expect the sort of shift that we need to see in such a short time frame? When we started this decade, we talked about 2020 to 2030 being the decade of action. I think we still need to remember that we are talking about transformational economic change and that that kind of economic change done in a relatively you know, smooth and orderly fashion does take time and planning. It, um, you know, it does require not days of effort, but years of effort. Um, we have to work on, you know, our communication and our credibility. Um, in the net zero world, I think over communicating around our intentions, around the methodology, the data is super important. I think one real challenge is that we all, you know, we, the financial sector, um, country, you know, countries, companies, we all talk about transition, but it's not a commonly defined notion. And we're still sort of putting that scaffolding in place in terms of what is a transition to net zero? How do you make it orderly? How do you make it just and fair to the communities that will be impacted, the workers that will be impacted? And what, do you, what are your proof points along the way? So I think increasingly as we begin to shift from ambition to implementation, identifying those proof points and those metrics is going to be super important to maintaining our credibility. Do you think that banks are being asked to do a bit too much in this and, and I mean the financial sector more generally? Do you think, would you like to see some of the burden of this taken up by policymakers, regulators and the like? I think banks are asked to do an appropriate amount and we need to have policymakers and governments, um, you know, helping to really be that tip of the spear driving that change. Um, within GFANS, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, we have always been really clear that for us to meet our net zero commitments, for our clients to transition, we have to have governmental policy and governmental action. Um, you just don't see global economies transition without that governmental support. And from what we've seen so far at COP26 in terms of government support for uh, also the government pledges, the government commitment to action. Do you think that is a positive? Do you think that things are moving in the right direction for the sort of support that you want to see for the banking sector and the financial sector? I'm feeling positive. I think um, we saw a number of country commitments, you know, including from the United States in the lead up to COP26. We had just yesterday the country of India commit to net zero by 2070. There's a lot of focus on is it net zero by 2050, by 2060, which is China's commitment, 2070, India's new commitment. Um, but I think that these developments are a really positive um, step forward. And, you know, Focusing again, not just on the 2050, but what are countries committing to in 2030? What are companies committing to in 2030? We also heard from India yesterday a commitment that by 2030, 50% of their energy will come from renewables. That is a real nearer-term measurable target, and that's that that kind of nearer-term target is what gives me a lot of optimism. City obviously has a big presence in emerging markets. So are you also seeing a business opportunity there? I think we're seeing a huge business opportunity to help developing markets develop and you know green their economy along the way. There's a real concern though, I think, you know, within the financial sector more broadly and certainly within city, 
that we, in our drive to net zero, whether it's you know at a global economy level or a financial institution level, we have to also allow emerging markets time to develop, and we have to understand that they are going to be you know achieving net zero emissions later than the developed markets will. So we have to have that sort of patience um, in combination with really stepped up development finance. Okay, and finally, we're running out of time. What uh, we we'll say we, again, we're only halfway through the third day of COP. There's another ten days to go. Uh, do you think there'll be much more that comes out that's significant for for the financial sector? Is there anything that you'll be watching particularly? Well, I think looking ahead, you know, I'm excited to see what happens the rest of Finance Day. I'm excited to see this shift from ambition to. Um, you know, execution and rolling up our sleeves um, for the hard work. You know, you're starting to see um, increasing activity and commitments in the biodiversity, nature, deforestation space as well. We had a big deforestation announcement yesterday with about 100 countries um, committing to zero deforestation by 2030. So I think, you know, as we move ahead, I, I want look forward to seeing continued focus on um, execution and the nuts and bolts of net zero while also making sure that we're addressing um, some of the other important environmental issues and then the development issues as well. Okay, fantastic. Well, uh, thank you very much, Val, for speaking to me. It's been, it's been a great pleasure as always, and uh, I hope the rest of the conference goes well for you. Thank you for having me. A couple of hours after my chat with Val, I also had a chance to speak to Constance Chacha, the Head of Company Engagement for Corporate and Institutional Banking at BNP Paribas, which was the winner of this year's Euromoney Award for Global Best Bank for Sustainable Finance. Again, I asked her for her thoughts on what we'd heard so far during the Glasgow conference. That's a very interesting question. I, I think, you know, society has long understood that finance has very strong levers uh, to tackle the immense challenges of climate change. Um, in the past few years, the financial industry has had a critical and exemplary role to play. And that's why, actually, sustainable finance has become a driving force of this industry. But I think what, what's happening this year, what's happening right now at COP26, is that finance is realizing that there has, they have to be a vehicle of additionality. It cannot anymore only be supporting existing plans. I think what we've seen, what we've heard, um, is that transition is too slow, that the cost of inaction is too high, and that finance has to become a lever to accelerate. So I think what, what I've seen is actually uh, that the financial industry today has five priorities. The first one is to enable the implementation of what I call the low-hanging fruit, the no-regret move when it comes to limiting a company, an institution, a state environmental footprint. Today, there's loads of solutions when it comes to energy efficiency, digital sobriety, plastic sobriety. Energy efficiency in particular could account for 40% of the CO2 reduction that we need to do. And yet, it's not happening. It's not happening fast enough, even though the payback are very often below 12 months. So why is it taking so long? And I think finance has a role to play to remove one of the possible hurdles which could be financing, because there's lots of solutions, but also to connect a lot of the startups or the 
companies who have those solutions with the large corporates and the states. So first priority, ensuring that everyone accelerate on those low-hanging fruit and on implementing energy efficiency. Second priority is to accelerate the transition. What I've heard is that over 14 nations representing two-thirds of the world economy said that they would align standards and coordinate investment to speed up production and bring forward what is called the tipping point, at which green technologies are more affordable, more accessible than fossil fuel alternatives. So the trick in the next 10 years is how do financial companies can channel, prioritize investments that accelerate allocation to financing, to positive technologies, making them more widely available, cheaper, uh, but also accelerating the exit of negative technologies, such as financing decommissioning. So today, it's how do we move this big point and get it closer to 2021 rather than 2030. Um, and this acceleration, of course, has to happen everywhere. It cannot be, it cannot be only in developing countries. And that's why I think uh, that's the third priority. In this fast transition, we cannot leave countries, societies, companies on the side of the road. Assembling solutions across private and public sector um, in segments or in regions where commercial banking hasn't been traditionally active will be instrumental to avoid increasing further the development gap when it comes to a ecological transition. And that's why what we've seen uh, in the past few days is that the British and Indian prime ministers uh, have launched the Green Grids Initiative. Uh, and this initiative aims to accelerate development and deployment of interconnected electricity grids across the world and to improve really energy access in the poorest countries in poorest regions. So making this acceleration of the TTIP point available to all is really the third priority and finance has a role to play. And, and the fourth priority? Fourth priority is to repair the future. Hmm. Uh, beyond the transition that exists, there is everything that doesn't exist yet. We will be in the future needing to build, to develop mobility solution, to live in a carbon neutral way. Today, technologies do not exist for this. And in order to have them in 2030, 2040, we need to invest today in R&D. And finance can facilitate this proof, future proofing of the planet, if you will. There is one fifth priority, which for me is very important. In this race to net zero, we need to protect and reinvest in the only very, very positive thing that still exists. It's our natural capital and the forests. And uh, what I've heard happening at COP is that more than 100 global leaders that represent 85% of the world forest have committed to stopping deforestation and reverse deforestation by 2030. I would hope that in the next COP, we will be talking about the tipping point and accelerating the tipping point where it's not 2030 anymore, but the reversing and reforestation starts happening in 2025. And I think finance has a role to play, making investment in forests more widely accessible. So I think these are my five priorities, <laughs> looking at the markets and looking at what's been happening at COP26. 
Okay, well, there has been a lot of discussion around the uh, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS. Some people have been a little critical of some aspects of this, particularly that it's not there's not enough short-term action required that, I mean, you're saying this, we need to start mm. today. And a lot of these uh, commitments that people have made do not commit anyone to doing anything today or tomorrow. It's, uh, most of the targets are now 2030. Uh, and, I mean, do you think there is that is a valid criticism? Do you think we do need to, there needs to be slightly more of a sense of urgency? So, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to have a long-term vision. I think without this long-term vision, you don't get onto a trajectory. But I think it's not sufficient. We absolutely need to make sure that people who are committed to net zero also have the milestones that are credible and together with the milestone have the implementation, the action plan to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as for BNP, as far as BNP Paribas is concerned, uh, we committed to uh, align our portfolio to net zero by 2050 as part of the net zero banking alliance. But we also committed to short-term milestone. Typically, we uh, uh, committed to reducing by 10% our exposure to upstream oil and gas uh, within our portfolio. And that's on top of a big move that we already made in 2017 when we decided to cease financing unconventional oil and gas. So we were already in advance. To date, we are the only very big international bank to have made such a commitment on uh, shale gas and unconventional oil and gas. But on top of this, we're committing to a substantial reduction, minus 10% by 2025. Now, in order to, as a bank, in order to be on a net zero trajectory, you can only do it if your clients hmm. are going to be uh, net zero. And that's why our main focus this year has been to systematically engage with every single client to make sure that we are there for them and they were there to support their transition uh, at their own pace, because the pace are different from one region to the other. But ensuring that our dialogue, our uh, expertise would help them accelerate and, and be in the right path. Okay, well, I know we're running out of time. You have places to be. It's a very, very busy time for everyone. What um, what else are we going to see during the rest of COP? Is there anything else that you think that will be potentially significant for the financial sector? Anything that you'll be looking out for? Um, well, you know, finance is an enabler. <laughs> so I, I'm extremely keen to see all the key trends that are happening in the different sectors, uh, in the different industries. Uh, to make sure that we can do our role, which is uh, channeling capital to the positive development, to something that has a real positive impact uh, in the race uh, um, in the race to net zero. So uh, I'm actually uh, hoping to see a lot more coming from uh, all all the companies because there's nothing that doesn't impact the financial sector today. Okay, fantastic. Well, Constance, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed for, Thank for joining me. Thank you very me. much. Thanks, thanks a lot. Well, that's it for today. I'll be back with more news and views from Glasgow in our next episode, so please keep a lookout for that. And in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.